everybody on this Memorial Day weekend. We are uh, gathered here virtually as we have been for a little bit now here in the uh, worship center where we're broadcasting from. I've got some of our production staff, the worship team, and I've got my boys with me here, our campus pastors, Kevin, Rick, and Neil. And uh, it's exciting to come to you today on a great topic, but we haven't had much chance to interact. And so... I have all my friends that kind of text me and I get the occasional picture kind of saying, hey, this is us watching TV or doing this or doing that. And, and they're saying, you know, we're, we're kind of doing more church with our kids. So what I thought we'd do today was maybe interact a little bit. We haven't had a chance to do a lot of that. And so we'll interact a little bit today. So if there's kids in the room, we'll kind of start off with a little bit of a fun way to do that. So uh, kids, if you're in the room and you're watching us right now, I want you to shout out if you recognize the logo that I'm about to put up on the screen, okay? So bear with me. Uh, what I've done here, we're gonna talk about the concept of branding to start today. And I promise this is gonna go somewhere, it's gonna make sense, uh, kind of tie in and intro us into our topic. But the idea of branding or kind of what represents a company or a group, there's usually signifiers. So here's a few of the top 10 most recognizable brands according to Forbes magazine for the year 2019. So there's a top 10 list and I've gathered a few of them. So number 10 on the list, let's see how you guys do here. Everybody recognize these golden arches? Okay, this is number 10 on the list. Give me one more. This is McDonald's. Do you kids shout that out? Okay, McDonald's. Evidently people are still eating here. I might be one of them. Okay, I enjoy a Big Mac from time to time. McDonald's, as number 10 on the list, has a brand value of, I'm gonna round up for these, $44 billion, that's with a B, and a brand revenue of 96 billion, okay? Next on the list, go ahead and give me the next one. Everybody recognize this castle? This is everybody's favorite place that we hope reopens sometime in the year 2030. All right, one more, Disney. This is Walt Disney, all right? Brand value for the Disney Corporation is 52 billion. Brand revenue of 34 billion. All right, they're number eight on the list. Let's go to number five on the list. Let's, you guys recognize this? Everybody's favorite place to go to argue? Facebook, all right? This is our Facebook company. Brand value, $89 billion with a regular revenue in the brand of 49 billion. Big jump now from number five to number four. This little orange arrow has been keeping boxes coming to our house through this whole shelter in place deal, keeping us alive. Jeff Bezos is the founder, it's Amazon. Amazon, as you can see, 97 billion for a brand value. That brand is worth 97 billion dollars, estimated by Forbes. And their revenue, 211 billion dollars for a revenue. And number one, let's go to it. Everybody knows this partially eaten piece of fruit right here. This is the Apple company. Brand value, get ready. 205 billion dollars is what it's worth, billion dollars. And the brand revenue over a quarter of a trillion at $266 billion. These are the titans of industry. These are the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts of our day. And what they're doing is they have created something huge. When I throw up a picture of an apple with a bite out of it, you don't sit there and go, yeah, Book of Genesis, Eve, right? You go, oh, that's Apple. And you don't just think about your iPhone, you think about what everything that's encompassed behind that brand. That's the concept of branding. Let's do just one more and see how you do. What's this? What's it represent? What's behind it? If you actually run the numbers, it's a first century, uh, like it's a crucifixion device, it's a, it's a torture device. 
It's actually how we used to execute people forever ago. Uh, its brand value is unknown. Its revenue can't really be decided because it's not measured monetarily. You see, the reality is with all these other brands, it represents something big. What's behind the cross? What does it signify? Uh, I'm going to throw up a quote real quick that I think is helpful right here. It's Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon. And he says something really interesting. He says, your brand is formed primarily not by what your company says about itself, but what the company does. Now, I highly doubt that Mr. Bezos was thinking about a church or had John 13, which I'm going to take you to in just a moment, in mind when he made this quote. But he was dead on in his analysis of what should make the church recognizable, what should stand as the symbol of the church. Let's take a look at this verse in John 13. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. Bright yellow here. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the reality going back, what, what the church says about itself isn't as important as what the church does. And what Christ is telling us in his final days in one of his longest teaching times in the upper room discourse is he's saying, this is how the world should know you. It's not through a fish that you put on the back of your car. It's not through a cross that you tattooed on your arm. It is by this action. It is by what you do. The world should peer in. It should look at you and it should see this doing of love. You should be functioning and acting in it. It's something that each and every one of us should recognize is our brand signifier, if you will, as I carry this metaphor out. You see, the reality is that is what should mark us as Christians is the fact that we should love one another. The world should look at the church and see a love that is so desirous that they're drawn to it. That's the way it's designed to function. So now that we know what should mark us and our topic for the week is love as we look at this verse, what we're going to spend time doing is not talking about what should mark us, but how to go about doing it. Our verse today, you can take a look at it. It's 1 John 3.16, and it says this. This is our focus verse. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What should mark us as Christians in love and what this verse is going to tell us and what I hope to open up for us in a very practical and approachable way today is that we can know what love should look like. So before we go any further, let me do this. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here together today. I thank you for each and every person watching. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that you guide and you lead us into how to love like you. You've given us this verse that tells us we should follow your lead. But Lord, you're so good, Holy Spirit. You're on board with us as we take this one day at a time, challenge by challenge, person by person, stronghold by stronghold, as we overcome, we press into love like you loved. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in verse 16 today, but just like anything, if you just parachute into one verse in the scriptures, it can be a challenge uh, to gain context. So I'm going to back us up a little bit to verse 11, and we're going to take a look at this opening metaphor. Our author is John. John wrote a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
okay? He also wrote these epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so we're in his first epistle today. And it has some beautiful reference places where it kind of echoes things that he said in his gospel. So as we look at this today, let's look at these first two verses. Because he sets something up that we're going to play off of a little bit for the rest of the day. It says, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What's he talking about? He's talking about back to his gospel, chapter 13, which we just introed with. He's saying, you've heard this message from me before. I've said this. You should love one another. Then he does this. He flips it and says, here's what it doesn't look like. Not as Cain, who was, the, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deed, Cain's, were evil and his brothers were righteous. John starts us off with this great idea. And for those of you, many of us remember the Sunday school story. If you're new to Christianity and you don't know the story, here's a quick flyby. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's kids. As they were sitting there, they were asked to do something by God, to bring a righteous sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Abel was pretty good at this, okay? He brought a righteous sacrifice, put it before the Lord. The Lord said, that is righteous. Thank you for being obedient. He wasn't quite as pleased with what Cain brought. Cain brought an unrighteous sacrifice and the Lord let him know that. Cain got upset with his brother. He became jealous of the righteousness that Abel had stepped forward in and he killed his brother. It's the first murder in the Bible. And so as this happens, what we hear now is, and this is the only Old Testament reference in this epistle, John is looking back and going, I wanna take you back to a place where righteousness was someone moved against it. His message to us in this opening metaphor, and we're gonna play off of this a little bit, is that Cain sought to kill what was righteous and Abel sought to nurture and exemplify it. Cain sought death when faced with righteousness because he didn't know what true life really was. So he sought death. And the idea between life and love is gonna be strong today. The next thing we're going to look at, because verse 13 is pretty simple. It basically just says, again, an echo from the Gospel of John. Don't be shocked if the world doesn't love you when you act like Christ. But verse 14 and 15 are going to be really important. Let's look at them. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. We just talked about death that Cain moved against and to kill righteousness. And we know it. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here's the deal. We're going to talk about some language stuff today. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Greek language. This is what the New Testament was written in, and just hang with me, because some of you start to glaze over when I say the word Greek. We worked really hard in seminary so we could do this. So maybe just for my benefit, if you could hang with me, that would mean a lot. Take a look at this. This is the Greek word for life that's being used here. It's the word zoe. It's not zoon. That's what it looks like in Greek, but the word zoe. And it has this meaning, transcendent life. It's a bigger life. It's defined as without this, there would be no life. It has the idea of source. It's a transcendent life. Give you some examples here because our, our author John has talked about this life over and over again. So here's the first one. Gospel of John, opening kind of passage. It's a beautiful four verses, and I wanna, want you to see this today. It says, in the beginning was the word. When it says word, it means Jesus. 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So just to kind of keep you up to speed here, this is the passage we go to when people go, I don't know, I think Jesus was a created being. I don't really think Jesus is God. I think he was a good teacher. That's fine. You just can't read the Bible and get it to say that. Because here it's saying that Jesus, the word, was with God. Where? In the beginning. And that the word was God. Jesus is God. This is where we take a Trinitarian theology from. And he was saying he was in the beginning with God. He preexisted. He's eternally existent and he is God. He's part of the Trinity. Here's where we go for our verse today. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Here's where we go. In him was life, zoe. And the zoe was the light of men. Give me one more click. Okay, we're going to continue to move through this. This is 1 John, the beginning of our book today that we're in. And it said, what was from the beginning, you're hearing the reference back to his gospel. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, again, talking about Jesus, concerning the word of Zoe, and the Zoe, which is life, was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to what you, the eternal life, being Zoe, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, let's look at our verse one more time. What it's talking about here in our passage, moving into our key verse today, is it says, we know we have passed from death into a transcendent life, a zoe life, a life that doesn't come from us or from earth, but comes from a source, a heavenly and divine place, a life that we were meant to experience and made for. Because we love the brethren, that's how we know, he who does not love abides in death. The opposite of Zoe, a spiritual death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. Okay? So I'm setting the stage for something that's kind of important. Because what you need to know is that we have passed from death, a spiritual death. A place that is not experiencing a transcendent life. A life that is beyond what we experience here on earth. And we have been given an eternal transcendent life that takes us from the fearful unrighteousness of Cain and into a new spiritual reality. You see, no longer does your soul wander without hope, but it now has life, and that life is the light of men. When it's talking about life in this passage, it's talking about something beyond the earthly. It's talking about the eternal. So now, with that as a foundation, let's take a look at this. This is our focus verse for the day, 1 John 3.16. It says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's confusing, isn't it? This verse kind of creates a bit of a problem because our English language is going life, 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 life. So let me get this straight, Rustin. I sat here, I went from death, I accepted Christ, I'm in a new spiritual reality. I have a zoe now. And what this verse is telling me to do is to step in and what Christ gave up was his eternal, his transcendent life for us. And so now we give up our eternal life for the brethren? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Something very interesting happens in this verse and you can't see it in English. It is invisible. But when we go back, and this is what I've done a little bit this week, is I've gone back and I've researched it, 
And our author has just gone eternal life, eternal life, transcendent life, transcendent life. And in this verse, he changes the word from zoe, transcendent, and he changes it to this, the word suke. It could be translated one of two ways, soul or earthly life. It's translated soul in a bunch of different places, 46 to be exact, in the New Testament. But our passage is not one of them. Our passage, this word is translated as earthly life. A place of material things. It's the same word and context as used in the book of Matthew that says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. Material things. Do you hear what this verse is saying, church? Do you hear what it's telling you today? You hear what it's telling me all week as I'm preparing? It's saying, listen up. You have something special. You now have a zoe, and you no longer have need of your suke, your earthly life. You've been given something that is so much bigger. You have everything you need for life and godliness because you've been given a transcendent, completely heavenly love and life that you will never lose. You see everything so differently now, don't you? You see, he left this little breadcrumb trail for us to find, to say, go after this, go after this, go after this. And when you find it, when you find that treasure hidden in that field, that Zoe life, it will so satiate and fulfill you that you will look at your earthly things and say, I don't need these anymore. I don't have a need for this suke that everybody seems to be so enamored with here on earth. I have found something transcendent. It's a word that gets thrown around in a lot of meaningless context. In this one, it's perfect. You see Jesus differently now, don't you? You see Jesus walking around the, the earth and he is so filled by this beautiful life that he is experiencing with the Father that is transcendent of earth and eternal that he looks around and he goes, oh guys, you don't get it. I don't have need of earthly things. He looks around at the rich young ruler and he goes, please go give all of your suke away. Sell everything that you have. If you only knew what I have for you, I have a zoe, rich, incredibly meaningful life that goes beyond these things that you treasure. But that ruler didn't see it and he left destroyed, devastated, wrecked because he was so distracted by all of the suke around him, he couldn't get to his zoe. Think back of our opening metaphor. Instead of killing righteousness like Cain did, we are now by this verse being asked to give our lives for it, for the righteous things, for the zoe that is being experienced in the brethren, the brothers and the sisters of the kingdom. And we're willing to take an earthly death, not be the ones doling it out. Can you see, church, why it's so important for us to understand what we have in Christ? It's so that we can sit back and say, we have something far too precious to turn away from. And so the things that are on this earth, we have no regard for. These earthly things, they don't matter because we have a zoe that is kept with a savior who will never let us down. That's what this verse is telling us. I'm not gonna elaborate it. I'm not gonna go on any further than that. It's very plain, it's very simple. You have transcendent life. Give up what you have here on earth. For who? Don't let it get in the way of you loving others. Because what they have, what they're in, it is transcendent. It's what you're experiencing. And the more precious you hold it, that's the better off you're going to be.
You're gonna be better at loving each other, which by the way, is what should mark you to the rest of the world that is not part of the brethren. What's it mean? Those who are walking around spiritually dead should long to be a part of the church who is exchanging a love and is experiencing a life that is beyond what they could ever do on their own. So let's get really practical because here's how I want to conclude today. Uh, I want to give you two, not lengthy, but just examples from my life. Uh, one is a personal example of what I've learned during this season in our culture that we've all been in. Okay, it's, I'm going to give you some personal stuff from my life. And then I want to give an example that I think we all need to hear as we sort of in the near future look at what it means for us to gather as a family here at church again. So here's kind of my first one. All right. Uh, COVID-19 happened. So if you, you back up, um, my typical day, I would wake up at, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Kids would wake up at 6.30. All right. Now, I, I've, I'm a decent dad. If you'd asked me like, I don't know, six months ago, what kind of dad are you? I think I'm a pretty good dad. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I help around the house. I do this, I do that. Here's what I meant by that. I'm a pretty good dad from 6.30 in the morning until 7.30 when we put the kids in school. I go do my thing. I show up here. I meet with you guys. I meet with other pastors. We do all the stuff we need to do. And then, you know, if it's a good day, I'm back home at five. All right? Kids go to bed at eight. You do fast math. I'm a decent dad, or I just said pretty good dad, four hours a day. Intro COVID-19. I'm now sheltered in place. I got a full-time job. My wife has a full-time job, okay? So the two of us are trying to do what we used to do in person on Zoom calls. And by the way, you've been given a wonderful gift. You're both now teachers because we're going to homeschool our kids, okay? So two kids trying to figure it out. The school was sending 90-page packets home each week for the first little bit, and my son has about a two-minute attention span, okay? So you do the math. This is not going to be a quick process. And here's what happened. My little four-hour-a-day toolkit didn't go very far in the midst of a 16-hour day where now all of a sudden I needed to have love for my kids for 16 hours. So I'm basically four for oneing. I got four days worth of my toolkit getting packed into one day. My little guy's up at six and he stretches his bedtime as late as he can. So I, I've been asked in dur just during kind of this whole era to, be, to come in and to speak in some different places. Men's ministry, a buddy had me on the radio show, this and that. And they've been asking the same question. Hey, will you come in and just talk about culture? And I've been asking this same thing to myself and to others. Is COVID-19 causing a disruption? Or is COVID-19 exposing a disruption? Here's the reality. What I needed was to be able to sacrificially, patiently, kindly, all these things, love my kids for 16 hours a day. COVID-19 didn't cause an inability for that. It exposed an inability in me to love my kids well for 16 hours a day. It exposed something in Rustin, a shortcoming, a place where I could not do what I needed to do. And it just simply put a spotlight on it. it. Didn't cause anything. It just put me in a situation where it went, okay, be a family, love your kids, teach them school, do your job. This isn't hard. And you go, well, it's really hard for me. That wasn't caused, that was exposed. So you gotta ask the question, and this is what I started to run the numbers on. Because once I know a problem, I'm a, I'm a lot better off at solving it. Okay, this is exposing a disruption in me. 
what's in the way. Here's what's in the way for so many of us of loving the way this verse is asking us to. Because what this verse was asking us to do is exactly what I needed to do with my kids. I just needed to love them, to give up earthly things, to sacrificially be who they needed me to be. These are, by the way, my closest people. This is my wife and my kids. This isn't even brethren. This isn't people that go to the church or occupy our city. This is my family and I'm still struggling. Does that make sense? So when the, when the Bible asks me, hey, go give your life away for people who don't live in your house, I, I'm having trouble with the people who live in my house, much less the rest of you guys that I, half of you I don't even know, okay? But here's the deal. Here's what's in my way. My entitlements, my rights, the places where I go, wait a minute, what about me? Our entitlements break into basically four areas. We're gonna throw them up on the screen here. They break up into this, our time, our treasure, our talents, and what I'm calling our freedom of action. Uh, the first and the fourth are where I really tend to struggle. My time, I didn't know this. I didn't know, but you know what? In my typical day, you know what I started to do? No idea, because it was invisible to me, but it got exposed by this culture. Hey, great, guys, you good? 6.30, 7.30, drop you at school, enough. Okay, great. Teachers got them, okay? Never have I been more thankful for teachers than I have for the last six weeks. Totally lied to me, all right? I saw the meme that said teachers lied to me. My kids aren't great students, and they're not patient and good listeners. They're not, all right? I had to do it. Thank you, teachers, for what you're doing. But the reality is I would drop my kids off. I'd be in my truck. I'd drive over here, and I'd go, okay, great. I'm going to start my day. Generally speaking, I got to do what I wanted when I wanted. I had a calendar. It drove my day, but I could manipulate it. I couldn't do that anymore. There were times where I needed to hop on a Zoom call, but I had to go add and subtract fractions with a third grader. I had an entitlement to my time that needed to die because others needed me. Treasure and talent. Some of us sit back with our money and we sort of say, you know, hey, that's mine. I earned it. All right. Yeah, but even the, the things that you did to earn it, God gifted you with. And once you step into the Zoe that the Trinity has blessed you with, that's made you for and now given to you this transcendent life, you serve at the pleasure of the king. And he's a great king. But your treasure belongs to him. I know wonderfully generous people who exemplify this really well, but at times our, our treasure can get in the way. Our talents, sometimes we're just, you look around and we kind of get on this thing where we go, I'm, I'm pretty good. I think I'm pretty awesome. These people are lucky to have me. And we start to think to ourselves, I should be able to take that anywhere I want and do what I want, when I want, and how I want. And the reality is that's not how it works. Again, you serve at the pleasure of the master. He's got a plan for your life. There may be places where you can go and earn a bunch more money. The reality is God may have called you somewhere else. Many of us in ministry sit back and just go, listen, here's the deal. There's probably places we could all go to make more money. But I've never been happier because this is where God called me. And it ain't easy. But it's worth it because it's where he's put us. And every pastor and person on staff would all echo, this is where God's called me and I want to fulfill his call. I trust his plan for my life. I, I told you guys the fourth one is a big one for me, this freedom of action. It's not just that I get to do what I want, when I want. It's the how I want. I, I, hey, listen, I want to go to the gym. Well, they shut gyms down. Now what? Okay, I guess I'm going to work out in garages and, and, and the kids are going to be around. I found myself getting irritated with like these kids. They, they don't ever leave. They're always here. Yeah, they are. And they're yours. Love them well. 
but I didn't get to do what I want, when I wanted, and how I wanted. Our entitlements so often get in the way of us loving others. And in order for us to love the way that we need to, we have to see that we are bound by our our entitlements or the things that we have to fill in the blank. If you sit down and you say, listen, I get to or I have to fill in the blank, unless that's something that God's called you to do and asked you to do for others or to continue to nurture a relationship with him, that needs to be negotiable. You need to be willing to give away the suke so you can continue to live in a fulfilling life and love that God has given you. What this word is telling us today is not to bother with earthly things. And in personal examples, it's in the way of us experiencing so much more. Here's a second example, and I want to craft this very specifically. A couple of weeks, June 6th and 7th, we're all going to be back in all of our different campuses. We're going to be back worshiping together again. And and here's what's really hard. So because we have to large part, politicize the virus, okay? I'm not gonna make political statements. It's just, it's silly. No, nobody really wins. I'm not gonna make political statements. I'm not actually gonna make cultural statements. I'm gonna make family statements, okay? And here's what that means. I'm just gonna talk about the only group that I really have any influence with, which is the family here at Scottsdale Bible Church of which I and my brothers and sisters are a part of. So that's where I'm going to keep this example, just to the family, and to talk about what it means for us to come back and to be a part of the brethren again, which we already know should look so loving that the world peers in and is desirous of it. Uh, Here's something I've heard over the last couple of weeks. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. We're all coming back in the midst of the same storm. It's COVID-19. That's the storm. And yet our boats are all really different. Some of us are 70 years old. We're going to come back and be 70 years old. Some are 25. Some are compromised for a myriad of health reasons. Others are in perfect health. Some of us have kids. Some of us don't. Some have been sheltered in place with a family, hectic, going everywhere. Others have been sheltered in place alone. They live alone. They haven't seen or really interacted with anybody that wasn't virtual in six weeks. The storm's the same, but the boats are different. And we are all coming back to the same place, but we are not in the same place. Here's what I want you to hear today. If you call yourself a Christian, I want you to make sure that you are loving no matter what you believe about what's going on in culture right now. Do you hear that? No matter what's going on in our culture, we have to remember that we are called as brothers and sisters to love. Here's an example. We're going to come back. We've encouraged you to wear a mask. Some people aren't going to. Okay? I got that. If you come back and you choose not to wear a mask, I'm going to hit both sides of this, by the way. But if you say, hey, I'm not going to wear a mask, I'm going to make that decision. Okay? Don't be belligerent about it. Don't come back to church and decide that you're going to instruct everyone else on your social views by looking for people with masks and walking over to them and going, hey, what's up? Hey, good morning. How you doing? No mask. How do you like me now? Don't be belligerent about your choice not to wear a mask. And if you choose to wear a mask, which we're encouraging everyone to do, don't socially shame those who aren't wearing a mask. You do you. Wear your mask. If you choose not to, that's fine. But here's what I don't want. And this is my closing example for the day. 
The church should look so loving to each other that the world looks in and says, I want to be a part of that. Why? Not because they see you, because they see Christ. They see a love of Jesus. And this is what would break my heart. If somebody who had fallen in love with Jesus and had found this church through our video broadcast during COVID-19, they went, I'm scared and I don't know what's going on. And I used to go to church years ago, but it wasn't really my thing. And so I started watching again and I heard some stuff that I loved. And so it's June 6th and 7th and I was told I could come and I'm here for the first time and I don't know Jesus and I don't know what I'm doing. And here's what they walk into. They walk into two people. One's got a mask on and one doesn't. And these people are yelling at each other. And one of them sitting there and they say this, I've been at this church for 30 years, mask not on. And they're just going at this other person. The other person in the mask is going right back at them. I've been here for 31 years and I think you're an idiot. Well, I think you're an idiot. And they're going back and forth. And you know what? This person's sitting over here who's never been to church and doesn't know Jesus and is being told that love exists here. They're looking in and they're saying, so this is the brand. This is the signifier that the church, these people who I'm watching, who clearly are Christians and have been for a long time, because they're telling me they've been here for three decades. You see, I don't see a loving brand. I don't see sacrificial love that takes all the suke of the belief of earthly things away and is loving each other. You know what I see? I see hate. I see anger. I see selfishness. <laughs> To be honest, I see that the church is everything that the media has been telling me it is for a really, really long time. You see, this is the brand that they see. And so they simply do this. I think I've seen enough. I guess what I saw online was just the hypocritical stuff that I've thought it was for years. I'm out. See, the reality is we're called to do something special. And what I'm asking you as your pastor today is this, will you start now, because you've got a couple of weeks, preparing your heart to come back to church, not belligerent and not self-righteous, but to come back to church with the heart of Christ, the Christ who saved our sorry souls by dying on a cross to bring us into a life that is so far beyond the earthly death, but is a zoe, transcendent life, and so we give our earthly lives away. Will you pray now and start shedding our entitlements and our rights, our comforts, the things that we say, but I don't want to wear a mask. Guess what? I don't like wearing masks either, but I'm going to do my best to love those who are coming back. I'm going to do my best to continue to shed the suke in me so that I can continue to show others there is an eternal life in me and I'm going to love others with everything I have beyond my comforts. Let's prepare our hearts to make sure that what the world sees from the church right now is a loving example of Christ. Uh, we're going to take some time right now, and we're going to go in response song. And uh, I just want to do this before we go there. The band's going to come back and join us on stage. And I just want you to really start praying now. Take this response song to start praying about some of the selflessness that is needed in each and every one of our lives. I've been praying for this for myself all week. And start praying that the Lord would prepare your heart. And start asking the Lord to remove the entitlements, the clinging to earthly rights, and the place where we come in and our selfishness gets in the way of our ability to show others that we love like Jesus loved us.
Bow your heads with me. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come together, for the fact that we get to be here with you, that you are here with us, and that, Lord, you are so capable of changing even the most stubborn heart. Lord, this is not political. This is biblical. We're coming back to love each other regardless of what we believe about what's going on around us. So, Jesus, we just, all of us, want to continue to surrender our earthly things to you and ask that you would move in our lives in a new and a special way. We give our hearts in this time to you. Pray this in your name. Amen.